would you mind introducing yourself for the audience, please? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm Sonia Bukalter, and um, I paint landscapes on gold leaf. And uh, I'm based in Italy for now. Um, have been here my whole life so far, but um, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. You you have just an amazing uh, technique, and it's very unique. But it it's it sort of borrows as well, like from so many traditional techniques. And I think it's it's sort of very apt that that you're in Italy and you and you sort yeah. of yeah because your paintings sort of remind me of got that 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 feeling of Renaissance type paintings. Um, so when I was looking back through your Instagram, you had a reel and you make great reels, by the way. They're very very Thank informative. You. Um, so it said you started painting on gold leaf in 2020. What did you do before that? Well, it's actually a, a kind of a long story because I've actually always kind of worked with gold leaf, just uh, not in, in with this specific style of painting on it uh, with oil paint. So um, what I what I do is basically like I, I was born and raised in, in Florence in Italy. And, and my mom is a decorative painter and uh, she she used to work with gold leaf and uh, all kinds of stuff like the traditional techniques um, that have been passed down through generations of, of craftsmen in Florence. And, and I was always like growing up around these artisan studios and, and I was always asking like, oh, can I put the gesso on the panel or can I touch the gold leaf or, you know, stuff like that. And um, so it was, it was not only natural that I would then start to work in that environment uh, when I was ready to. And so I, I learned these techniques very early on. And by the time I was uh, like, by the end of high school, I was already like sort of part-time working in my mom's studio. And um, I then all through art school after that, I, I was working in other studios as well as my mom's. And so I, I really learned uh, how to use gold leaf really well. And at the same time I was going to art school and I was learning about oil paint and more like contemporary techniques. Uh, and so I kind of started to like try to figure out how to blend those together. And throughout my years of art school, there was a bunch of like trial and error. And I just was not able to really blend these two elements of like contemporary and ancient techniques. And I couldn't really find something that spoke to me. Um, so then in 2020, I finally managed to like put them together. So I started to, to paint with oil paint in like transparent glazes over gold leaf. And it really just, it clicked, it all clicked together at that point. And so, yeah, that's kind of the story yeah. um, of how I got to this technique. That's fascinating. And like you say, that trial and error thing where you have sort of certain components that you're working on that you're knowledgeable about, then there are other elements as well. And there often is that moment where it just kind of clicks together. You don't know when it's going to happen and you can't prepare for it really. But, you know, artists are always sort of trying this and trying that. And at some point, if they're lucky, sometimes many artists just carry on doing that. That it kind of comes together. Um, I think it's interesting as well that you're fusing that ancient or traditional way of working with the contemporary as well, because 
you do see a lot of um, traditional art still being made, and I guess it, a lot in in Italy is like that, where it's very much within that um, kind of field of traditional methods, um, applications, techniques, but then in many ways it's imitating the old art. Whereas what you've done is you, you've been able to take different influences, contemporary influences, and, uh, and fuse the two. Um, so when did you start painting clouds? Well, that was that was also in 2020. Mm. So, um, well, first of all, I want to say that I, I agree with, like, your observation about, like, this sort of fuse fusion of of like older and newer things it's like so so important because i believe that fundamentally the the old masters of the renaissance and before then had an amazing grasp on technique and materials and it was just so so important and still is so important and of course uh, artistic expression has to evolve along with us as human beings but I, I believe that having a firm grasp on technique and materials is only like it, all it can do is elevate your work. So absolutely all for taking from the past and bringing it into the contemporary world. Um, but yeah, as for clouds, uh, me painting clouds, I, I started in 2020. Um, so basically I'd, I'd come out of art school. I'd finished my last year and um I did my final exam like uh, just a few months before the the pandemic started. So I was basically like ready to go out there and, and show my work to the world. And I was doing, um, I ended up doing like geometric abstracts, like enormous paintings of geometric abstracts. And, uh, and then the pandemic hit and I was like, okay, I can't really get into like galleries and shows and stuff like that because that's all closed down now. And, and so then I, I sort of started really sitting with my geometric abstracts and I was like, is this really what I'm about? Is this really what I'm trying to put out there into the world? And the answer was no. And so I'd spent, you know, years on that sort of uh, evolving that sort of expression. And I was like, you know what? No. <laughs> so I, I completely changed direction. And I've, I've always been like a very outdoorsy person. I like to walk, I like to hike and just be in nature. So when the pandemic started and the lockdown started uh, in Italy, it was, it was very, very strict lockdown right away. And um, it, it was pretty terrifying for me because I went from being outdoors every day to being stuck in my tiny little apartment. And it was just so such a shock for me. And I mean, I was basically climbing the walls because I, I wanted to be outside. And, and I would be constantly looking outside, uh, looking at the sky, and it was really the only part of nature that I could really connect with because uh, being in the city, I couldn't see many like trees or hills or nature. It was just buildings really and, and the sky. And so I would see these clouds go by and, and the, the sky being different at different times of the day and between one day and the next. And it was just this, this real like connection with nature and this longing. And it was always something that would sort of ground me. Uh, so whenever my, my mind would sort of get away with itself and, and get me into like an anxious state or a depressive state or whatever, I would, uh, like if I were, if I was able to like, look at something, uh, of, of nature, you know, either the sky or, 
uh, some trees, some hills, something, it would sort of ground me and sort of bring me back to reality. And uh, of course, the lockdown was a source of a lot of anxiety and, and stuff like that. So looking at the sky was like, okay, I'm, I'm back to back to earth, you know, back to reality. And uh, so, I, of course, I naturally started painting mm -hmm. these clouds. And at first, it was kind of just like with watercolors and just kind of playing around with different mm, materials and techniques. And eventually, I started to do like I went back to oil paint, which I've always loved. And I started to like see what I could do with gold leaf as well, because I had some in my apartment. And that's when it sort of started to come together. And I was like, you know what, this is this is really wonderful for me. I, I love doing mm -hmm. this. And and I felt like, yeah, this is this is what I want to be expressing in the world. That's incredible. Sort of those alignments of a few things. And as you were talking there about the lockdown and your know, abstraction and clouds and stuff, it, it's interesting because it's similar with me in a way. I mean, I grew up in the countryside. I lived in many places near the sea and stuff. But I was living in London and I was mainly painting abstract paintings. I wasn't putting them out there or anything, but they were very minimal, kind of geometric, but with painterly elements. Um, but living in the city, I started to connect, reconnect with um, the skies, especially where I'm from in East Anglia in the UK with massive skies. And I started to get this longing, which you talked about there, um, and I often talk about this in relation to my work, that there was this sort of romanticism and longing for the landscape that really started to, to rise in me, especially when I was in London and I was there for 12 years, you know, living a very busy life, a tube, and, and, but you just get in between the buildings, these little glimpses of the sky. And with, with the tradition of landscape painting, especially... British landscape painting. Um, it came about during the Industrial Revolution when many of the people had to leave the countryside and go to the city. And they were kind of in these industrial areas where they could hardly see the sky and there was lots of smog, but they started to romanticise and create this idea of longing around the countryside and the skies and almost create a deity out of it. And... Constable and Turner kind of sort of satisfied that need in many ways. And so I find that really interesting that, that you said that, that there's a, yeah. you tap into what actually inspires you, um, combine that with the techniques and you get that sort of almost perfect fusion and the stars align. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that um, nature is, is really sacred. In, mm. I, I mean, I was about to say sacred in a way, but I, I'm not going to say that. I, I'm going to say yeah. it's just it's sacred. It's fully sacred. And and that's, uh, I feel that also um, is, is what I'm trying to represent in my work, uh, because having seen so many uh, beautiful examples of, of sacred art in, in Christian churches in Italy and in Florence, especially there's some incredible artwork with gold and it was always used to like elevate these uh, sacred icons. And it's, it's kind of like, uh, like, I feel like that's kind of what I'm doing with nature and um, like um, 
I, I paint like um, there, there's this sort of little technical detail that I, I really love uh, is that like the most sacred subjects like uh, angels wings and um, the baby Jesus and like the absolutely most sacred and celestial subjects uh, were painted over the gold. So there, there wasn't like, um, like they no usually there was no gold underneath. They would just do like gold around the figure mostly because gold is expensive of course and uh so it would make more sense to to not gild areas that were not seen but these absolutely sacred subjects were with gold underneath and uh all of my paintings like oh, the whole landscape has gold leaf underneath and and that's uh like i feel like i'm i'm trying to say like look this is my most sacred subject this is my my religion it's it's sacred to me so I, I feel like I'm trying to express that too. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's beautiful. It really is. And again, that you are able to align you know, both the material, but also that metaphysical quality as well with it. And yeah, it's brilliant. Simon, do you have a question? At all? Yeah, I mean, you touched upon this a moment ago when discussing uh, your reaction during the pandemic, but... I did read one of your posts on Instagram and I always really appreciate when artists open up and share personal aspects of their development with the audience about mental health and how painting the sky kind of, uh, it just gave this perspective um, on the problems that can not to use a pun, but cloud kind of our feelings sometimes. Um, can you expand upon, I suppose, what you were saying in that post? And also I can imagine you've had, uh, a, you know, somewhat of a reaction from people who are fans and followers of your work because it is just beautiful and speaks to so many people. So do you mind expanding upon that a little bit more? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I found that, um, I mean, uh, this this idea that um, the sky and clouds can ground you really is is something that uh, when I started putting my work out there into the world and I found that uh, it really like resonated with a lot of people and um, I wasn't completely expecting that um, uh, and it was just so amazing to me because like. It, it wasn't a specific like type of person. Like, for example, like I, I tend to get a lot of spiritual people uh, reacting uh, to my art, but it's not like only Christians or only Muslims or, you know, it's, it, I've gotten a lot of people who are also like not following a specific religion or anything, but they just do consider themselves spiritual in their own way. Like they, they, they believe in some kind of, um, universal connection or or like a sort of i don't know higher power in a way but some of them maybe don't even know if that's true or not for them personally but they they just have that sort of um feeling inside them and it's it's just absolutely incredible to see like these these wonderful really positive people just sort of gather around my work and it's been like an absolute honor i have to say an honor because like i i didn't think i'd i'd accumulate like this this like 
community around my work that is just so kind-hearted and and positive and to me and to each other and it's just amazing and I, I, it makes me think like wow if if what i am putting out there is is drawing people like that it, it i don't know i it just it's it's an honor i mean i i'm running out of words here to describe it because it's just so amazing and and it's it's uh it's weird because this um this form of expression it, it kind of came from one of the most negative periods of my life uh, because I mean, I've, I've always been prone to like, uh, mental health issues such as depression and anxiety, uh, especially when I was living in the city. Um, cause I, I, I have, uh, now I realize more what the issue is. I have like a high sensitivity to noise and, um, it contributes to my anxiety, but, um, I, I had no idea. Like I'd always lived in the city. I'd always been very anxious, very jumpy and very tired all the time. And it just was the norm. And so I, that accumulated and throughout my life, I've had, um, very negative moments and the pandemic was, was one of them. I was, I was very depressed and, and feeling very lost too, because I, I'd come out of art school and I just said like, okay, this whole project of geometric abstraction is not working. Like, what am I going to do now? And so I, I was pretty low, but it, it was just like, I, I literally had a, had this moment where it just clicked because I, I looked at the sky and I just felt that washing away of, of problems. It's like, you know, yeah, my problems still exist, but they're not as enormous as I thought they were. And yeah, I feel that, I mean, a, a lot of people sort of need that in their lives. And uh, I'm really, really glad that that my work can kind of make people feel that way. And it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, you, and it's seen in the work, you know, that there is this kind of transcendent quality to it. You know, and I think, you know, the, the artist sometimes, and it's a cliche, isn't it, that the, the artist produced beautiful work, but behind the these or their suffering, you know, and there's some truth in it, right? But I think sometimes if you, you're able to communicate this visual poetry, these things, you know, it benefits you and it benefits the other people because you've, you find, you've found a channel of communication um, where you are able to find this sort of sublime element of life, this kind of transcendence from it. And also other people find that as well. And, you know, I find it as well um, with my work that people sort of comment that kind of thing. Because with me, it's sort of been ages of trying to paint in a visual language that I wanted to paint, you know, in, in that kind of way. And when you realise that it's sort of communicating with other people, that other people can hear it, can see it, I mean, it's the most beautiful feeling, isn't it? And um, and I think, you know, with mental health and and things like that, and I've got a background, first, the personal mental health, but working in mental health, running art groups for people with mental health, and just seeing how, you know, these forms of expression can really, really set you free and give you that kind of vocabulary, in a way, a visual vocabulary, to say what you can't say with words sometimes. It's very special. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think that like th there's this quote from one of my absolute favorite artists, uh, Mark Rothko. Uh, and the quote is that art is an experience. Essentially, I'm probably quoting it wrong. It's it's a bit longer than that. But um, I, I really like that really resonates with me. Like I'm not painting a picture here. I'm not trying to like literally describe a landscape or something. I am having an experience and transmitting an experience. So like my experience is is cathartic because I, I paint this picture, I express what I'm going through and it's out there and it's ready to interact with people in the world. And uh, and then when it when somebody sees my work, the, the experience continues in them. And like, I, I still remember this, this one time that I, I did an art fair in London and um it was like the, the final day almost closing time basically and uh i had an awesome time there's so many people just like uh really feeling my work and and i had so many meaningful conversations it was just so amazing and then at the end this 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 woman came up and she was just like looking at my work at, at my whole stand just like in awe and i i was like oh wow this is amazing and and she like she started to talk to me a little bit and she was like, wow, I really feel like the spirituality in these paintings and stuff like that. And like, we had a brief conversation about that. And then she just sort of like crouched down, like a, like sat in front of my stand. And I was just like, wow, I, I can see she's going through the experience right now. She's having an experience in front of my work. And so I, I just, I just stood there. I was just like, you know, just watching her have the experience of my work. And that was just amazing, like incredible. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I believe it's a, a, an experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's fascinating again to, to talk to artists and to see that passion, um, but also that, you know, that feeling of it, but it being not just, you know, something that we do, for a job, for example, like, you know, we're not just drawing or painting adverts, that type of thing, that it is a way of life. And, you know, for better or worse, sometimes it's a way of life. And, you know, Rothko, I love Rothko as well. And, um, you know, Rothko was, uh, you know, a deeply sort of, um, I mean, Rothko, for example, you know, despised pop art, you know, there's this famous thing where he, he bumps into Andy Warhol in the street and just kind of you know, curses and turns his back and walks away. Because for him, Rothko was like, art is this kind of sublime entity. It's not to be kind of, um, you know, fused with pop culture and stuff like that. Simon, do you have any more questions? Yeah, I also was interested in uh, a period in 2021 when you went to Iceland and, um, and you created these paintings using faux silver leaf and oil on board. Is that a similar material to to use? And what was the, because it's quite a different palette to what you've developed now where it's, you know, it's all really uh, beautiful kind of ethereal kind of colours. And you had this kind of really grounded Iceland feeling very uh I don't know earth earth colors in there and and like lots of you know just like a completely different environment that you'd captured there so can you talk about the development of that series of work a little for us yeah absolutely um that was uh 
So uh, I, I was still in the sort of early phases of developing my technique and um, I I was still like, I, I enjoyed silver leaf a lot because it's something that appears in uh, traditional furniture decoration and, and stuff like that. Um, but it's just not as common as gold leaf. It's not as, um, uh, yeah, just not, not used as much, uh, but it's, it's an incredibly beautiful and delicate material. And so I, and I'd, I'd worked with it before. And so I wanted to try my, my technique on gold with silver. And I wanted to see what this cold background, uh, would, would bring out. And, uh, Iceland just kind of, um, it's, I like to say that Iceland decided the colors that I was going to use, uh, including the silver. Cause, um, so basically I'd planned this trip, um, cause what with the pandemic and everything, it was basically impossible to travel. And that's another thing that I've always done a lot. And so I felt like, um, okay, I'm, I'm trapped in Italy. That's not something that I want. <laughs> um, so I managed to like, uh, figure out how to travel in 2021 and things were just barely starting to open up again. And I wanted, I knew I wanted to go somewhere cold, somewhere in the North. Um, and I had originally thought about like Norway or Sweden or places like that. And, but they were still like locked down. They were not accepting tourists. Um, so Iceland was the only uh, far North country in your, well, near Europe relatively. Um, that that was accepting uh, visitors. So I started to plan and I realized that it's a very expensive country. So uh, what I did was I signed up for a, a workaway experience where uh, I, I did this sort of like farm stay and uh, it was this sheep farm in, in the north, um, northwest. Yes, Northwest. Um, and, and it was also bed and breakfast. So like I would do odd jobs uh, for the first half of the day. And then the rest of the time I was just absolutely free to wander around and paint and uh, see this beautiful landscape that it just struck me so much because it's like the, the land itself there is is young. So like compared to the rest of, of the earth, like, it's, it's full of these volcanoes and like just really new earth. And it's, it's easy to imagine how um, something like, like a place like Italy would have been like millennia ago. And uh, it's just, it was just incredible. And it was a landscape that I'd never really experienced before. And all in that one month, I managed to see an active volcano. I saw a glacier for the first time in my life. I saw incredible like waterfalls and uh, just very unusual landscapes. And I'd gone there uh, fully intending to paint, of course, and uh, to explore this sort of different landscape and see what it brought up for me. And I, I brought along a bunch of like uh, pre-gilded panels. Um, so there was some gold and some silver because I didn't really know what was going to happen. And I got there and Iceland told me you need to use silver because <laughs> it, it was just like, I, I would have felt like gold would not do it justice. So that's just kind of what it uh, said to me. And, and I started to like really just get into the landscape and it's, it's not something that you can do in, in a short amount of time, like a, a month 
absolutely flew by. It was just so fast. And I felt like I was barely scratching the surface. So I do fully intend to go back there one day. I'm, I'm kind of like searching for art residences and stuff like that, because uh, I would love to take a deeper dive into that really like new young earth landscape. So yeah, that, that was uh, that was the experience. Yeah. That's so interesting um, you know, to, to respond as the artist to what you see, to what you're feeling as well. When it comes to techniques, and I know you answer these questions a bit in your reels, um, oil on the gold leaf, because um, it's obviously non-absorbent. Is that right? So, yes. so you, you're painting. Are you mixing any mediums with your oil? Um, explain well, a little bit about your yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't actually, I don't mix any uh, particular medium with my oil. Like initially, I was just using your basic linseed oil, uh, no solvents, uh, because I, I try to use as little solvents as possible, because they're really bad for the environment. And uh, so no solvents, also because they alter the gold leaf, um, they tarnish it and destroy it <laughs> but um so basically just linseed oil then I sort of moved to walnut oil because it was less yellowing uh and recently I I have discovered liquin um which I find is just fantastic because it really evens out the tones of of the color the sheen and it's it's very um like comfortable to use and it speeds up the drying time just enough so that I can work a little bit more efficiently, but not so much that um, I can't like have a proper, like long sitting with a painting. Um, so basically the fact that the, the gold is non-absorbent is actually a, a good thing. Um, Cause essentially uh, throughout history when painting on, on gold leaf surfaces, um, what uh, what was used uh, is basically these types of paints that were essentially uh, fat based in a, in a sense so like no no water based um like the binder itself so like egg tempera was was a very commonly used um paint because it's water soluble but the binder itself is the the egg yolk so it's it's a fatty binder and uh, casein paint is also another medium that can be used um but nothing like for example uh watercolor that that would just like there's there's a lot of water content in that um paint so it, it would just uh sort of bead on the surface and, and it wouldn't really um stick so um yeah oil i find is is really really good uh because it allows me to sort of like work in these transparent glazes, which I feel is very, very important if you have gold underneath uh, your paint, because um, you want to really bring that luminosity and transparency, uh, luminosity through the transparencies up until like the final version of your painting. So, because I mean, otherwise, if you're, if you're not doing that, if you're working in opaque um, layers, then you might as well just not gild underneath. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> So I, I hope that kind of answers the questions. Um, well, you've got but, the yeah, light. I get, I get asked. Yeah, I get the light coming through because you've got that lovely luminosity, and you know, in many ways, it sort of say with oil painting. And when I teach it, I always uh, will t 
tone the surface because I want to get rid of the whites because I would say it's not watercolour painting when you want the luminosity of the white paper to come through. But what I think is really interesting with yours is it's got that inner light. And I found it interesting what you're saying about the opaque pigments there because you could put an opaque pigment on it and it just totally destroys that glow, that inner light, doesn't it? Um, yeah. So with, with your white paints, are you using just titanium white, lead white? That's a very good question. Um, <laughs> initially, I was I was using titanium white because I didn't really know my options too well yet. Uh, but I immediately realized it was very opaque, very heavy on that gold. And so still not being very informed, I tried to like keep using it, but very, very diluted. And eventually I, I did some research and I uh, did some tests uh, and, and I finally landed on flake white. Um, so that is absolutely perfect for me. I've, I've like switched over to, to it completely. I have this old tube of titanium white that's just sitting there and it's been completely abandoned because uh, it's just, it's so much lighter and more transparent and it just, it, it allows that, luminosity from the gold to shine through and it's the traditional white isn't it as well um, so flake white is for the audience lead white and it was made originally from basically stacking lead up like that and then putting vinegar i think in horse manure or something like that but what happens to the lead over time and creates this white uh, flaky type stuff which i grant grind into a pigment you can't actually use it here in, in the uk which is which is crazy i've got some of it i managed to buy some but it handles just so like people often think the sort of the best white for more transparent stuff for in is zinc but zinc isn't quite there but flake white is beautiful because you can get it very thin that but the impasto on it as well if you Look at some, say, Van Dyke uh, portraits. There's a guy with a ruffle like this, and it's it's lead white. It's just beautiful. It can go like whipped cream or anything. It's a very very nice uh, color, nice pigment. So, yeah. um, so, so talking about colors, what is your your palette? What colors do you use? Do you use the same? Oh, yeah. I I love talking about this kind of stuff. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, um, I've gradually sort of developed this palette over the years and it's, it's always kind of changing. Uh, it also depends on like, if I'm going through a certain phase, uh, where I don't know, I'm maybe like refocused on lilacs or something that I'll maybe integrate some different reds and different blues. Mm, but generally, like, I think the most absolutely fundamental color that I would not be able to do without is burnt sienna because I use that for all of my sort of transparent underpainting that I put for for like all of my paintings. And like ever since I started doing that, uh, it's it's just brought the, the luminosity and the, the strength of my colors way up there. It's, it's just like been like night and day really. So um, that is absolutely the, the base of, of last, everything. So last bit, number uh, one. A, ner a nerdy question on that, is it? Is it P PR101, uh, so TPR101, transparent pigment, red 101, burnt sienna, or is it P, P, 
PBR, oh, what is it? PBR six. So there's two, there's sort of two different Siennas. One is the the more opaque one, and one is more transparent. Which one is it? Well, I actually have a mix uh, because I I'm lucky that I know a lot of artists, uh, and I uh, have known a lot of uh, like older generation artists who maybe like don't paint anymore or like hobby artists. So I have been gifted a lot of colors and paintbrushes and stuff like that. So I I tend to try and use the transparent one, but. I think that the the less transparent, like the more opaque one, is is still okay if I dilute it with a lot of liquid. So so yeah, I mean I I, I try not to waste as much as possible, um, and it's it's definitely usable. So yeah, but obviously I prefer the the transparent one. It's good. And your other yeah. colors? Oh yeah, well uh, my other colors. Uh, so I like to have generally a, a spread of like all your basic colors but with like a, a warm variation and a cool variation. So I'll have like um, a, a more sort of like yellowy orangey red and a more sort of like purplish almost red. And the same thing with blue, I'll have a more greenish blue, like uh, for example, what was it? Pr Prussian blue, I'll have a Prussian blue and then I'll have an ultramarine blue that's a lot more like warm and purpley. And so I find that uh, having that option is like really, really important um, because like when when mixing, like it, it's a super important thing to consider because if you have like, um, if you're trying to mix a warm color and one of your variations of, of like one of the colors that you're putting in there is a cool variation, it'll really like bring down the color a lot. It'll make it like muddier than you would expect it to be. Um, but maybe that's exactly what you want. So, you know, it's very important to have that option of warm and cool variations for every color. So this is a so, split yeah. primary palette. Um, I often use it as well. So a normal primary would be, for example, ultramarine blue, uh, cadmium yellow, um, cadmium red, but by having a warm and cool version of each, and sometimes you can see that most in the amount of greens you could make if you had a warm yellow and a cool yellow or a warm blue and a cool blue the greens you can make is just a, a whole spectrum but like you were saying there about the sort of bringing colors down so if you're trying to make a violet and you've got ultramarine blue then you've got a choice of two reds one is say rose madder and one is cadmium red light. Because the cadmium red light is leaning towards orange, and orange and blue are complementary colours, mm -hmm. when you mix those together, rather than ex like um, exaggerating each other, they sort of cancel each other out. So that violet's going to be really dull. But because the rose madder is leaning more towards violet anyway, when you mix that, ultramarine blue you can get a really really strong violet yeah absolutely yeah it's yeah. so so interesting I mean there's just so much that you can learn uh studying these colors and, and color theory mm. in general um and it, uh, talking about that uh there's there's um like generally uh there's this technique that I use what with the transparent glazing that I do I like to build colors um like through layers so like especially when i when i'm doing like hills 
I'll, I'll have, like, I'll start out with my burnt sienna and then I'll glaze over it with like some ultramarine blue, which cools it off and darkens it a bit. And then I'll come in with like a, a more like yellowish color or an earth pigment or something. And like through the various layers, I'll sort of push the color in different directions. So like, I'll look at it and be like, okay, th these hills are too cool. They're too blue. Mm -hmm. So I'll come in with a layer of color that, that takes them away from that. And um, so, so like, I really enjoy doing that using like unmixed uh, colors, like just plain ultramarine blue or plain flake white or plain whatever, and, and just layering it until I get to the color that I want. Which is that called optical mixing? Is that right? Well, I, I think so. I think so. Um, I'm not quite sure about the term itself, but yeah. probably. Fascinating. Have you ever, um, or do you ever make your own paints? So you use dry pigments and... Well, I, I have in the past um, and it's, it's very enjoyable uh, and it, I feel that it, you can you can get uh, some very interesting colors and very interesting textures that you can have a lot of fun with. Uh, lately, like in, in the past couple of years, I haven't really been doing that so much because mainly because of like uh, convenience, because uh, I, I have some very good uh, tubes of, of colors. So I, I really I don't feel the, the need, but sometimes like um, it, sometimes I'll do it for like specific colors. Like I, I, I got um, this like fluorescent pigment at a certain point that I, I got in like Canada. And um, so I brought it back to Italy and what with it being a pigment, I was like, okay, let's see, let's see what I can do with this. So I, I made that into an oil paint that I was then sort of experimenting with in some paintings. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's always an option and it's a good option to have and know how to do. Uh, but it's it's a little bit time consuming sometimes. <laughs> yes. I've made my my own paints quite a few times, and um, most recently because I paint in gouache quite a lot, and gouache tubes are very small. I thought, well, if I I want to create bigger paintings, so I'm going to make my own gouache. So I ordered some more pigments and binder and some tubes, and spent maybe an hour and a half creating. About that much, and I just uh, put it all to one side and, and um, said I'll do it another day. But it is very time-consuming. But I think it's important to, um, as an artist, to to understand and to know how to make a paint, and that the pigments aren't just you know these things in tubes and they come from materials and you know, how they're coated and and all of that kind of the alchemy behind it, basically. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's super, super important uh, because it also gives you an insight into how that uh, that specific color will behave. So, mm -hmm. like um, how absorbent that pigment is, uh, like how uh, how it will behave. Like sometimes when painting with oil, um, like now that I use liquid, it's different because it sort of evens out the sheen of of every color. But I used to notice this a lot before that uh, when I used like earth pigments, um, they would sort of like be more opaque compared to other colors. And that is uh, because of, of the pigment that they're made from. They tend to be more absorbent uh, materials simply. Uh, so, so that's I mean, that's just one of the many little insights that you can get knowing what you're working with. 
And uh, I, I always, like every time I talk about uh, art, um, I always, always stress the importance of, of knowing what you're working with. Because, um, I mean, there's a lot of information out there and it, it'll take some time for sure to, to get through all of it. But the important thing is to always be learning because uh, you can you can stumble on some really like basic stuff um, simply by by not knowing about how that pigment behaves or or that material. So uh, I, I actually had this experience um, a while back. Um, so this is uh, it was quite a specific experience uh, because I was I was trying to experiment with how to prep my canvases for the gold leaf. Um, cause I'd always painted on board and gold leaf on it historically has always been on board and rigid supports. Um, so I was trying to figure out, okay, how can I like make the surface very smooth, um, but also keep it flexible. And so I tried to do like a silicone based, uh, preparation, um, and it all went fine and it was really nice. Um, so then I, I painted some, some canvases with that. And then I went to varnish them with um, your your basic sort of like final gloss varnish, uh, which is usually resin based, um, and it just would not dry. And it was uh, initially I thought, oh, this maybe this varnish is old or something, so I'll buy a new one. And it would do the same, and it would just not dry for like ever. And and I was doing all of the things to help it dry, and it was not budging. So I went, I took a deep dive on the internet and through all kinds of forums and stuff. Um, and I found out that these resin-based varnishes um, will never dry if they have contact with silicone. So yeah, and, and I was like, oh my goodness, I just <laughs> ruined a bunch of paintings. Uh, so then I managed to strip that varnish without damaging the paintings um, with some, some alcohol. I managed to, uh, again, lots of trial and error, uh, patch testing, various solvents. Um, and then I went, I, I found out that there's alcohol-based varnishes that will not have that issue. So I went in with, with those and I varnished my paintings and it was all fine in the end, but, uh, it was, uh, obviously a very nightmarish week, yeah. uh, but, uh, it's so, so important. Like yeah. you, like, if you know the theory behind these things, you, you don't stumble like that. You, you know, that certain materials just do not sit with each other. But sometimes you need to go through that journey. And I'm, I'm someone yeah. who's, you know, I kind of read, uh, let's talk about colour for a moment. So I bought loads of books over the years about colour and it just didn't go in. But And I bought every tube possible, but then decided once just to do a primary palette. And I learned more about just trial and error and doing it from that journey and now when I read the books, it makes sense, you know, but I've wasted, not wasted, because it's all, it's all worth it, but you go down these little avenues with certain materials, and then like you were saying, you come up to that yeah. block, but you find that solution. Do you still use the silicon base? I do not. No. I did away with that completely uh, because the alcohol-based varnish uh, was just too shiny for me. I felt it made my paintings look wet, and I didn't, didn't really like that at all. Um, so, so now I, it's just a, a gesso base, um, a very fine uh, canvas and very fine uh, gesso that I sand a lot. Uh, but it's it's really like it's it's way better because uh, I can just put this 
normal varnish that I was used to that has the, in my opinion, the perfect level of shine to it that doesn't make the painting look white. Um, but yeah, about um, encountering these issues, I, I, I feel that it's inevitable to, to, to enter into these situations and it's very important. Uh, and I think fundamentally depends on on each individual and how we learn so like i i'm the type of person who like you needs to like actually um go through the experience and and have that happen to really learn about that so like i'm not the type of person who would like preventatively read about silicone and uh you know varnish interaction um but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's there's some people out there who maybe have like a, a more analytical kind of mind who who would go through that. And I mean, it's, I feel it's an individual choice. But um, yeah, getting your hands dirty is is my <laughs> lifestyle. <laughs> right, Simon, do you want do you want to ask a question? Yeah, it's funny. I had a question which you ended up answering anyway without me asking because I was going to ask about pitfalls and things that can go wrong and then you just organically came up with a great example um, because there's going to be listeners and viewers of this podcast who are at all different levels of their journey in artwork I try to ask more naive questions sometimes for my own education and for the benefit of people who may not um, just may not know as, as much you know about uh, what happens when you try to experiment with paints so instead I thought it's a bit of a it's a bit of a tangent, a bit of a you know diversion from what we've been discussing. But do you use sketchbooks at all? I do. I I do. I have um, a sketchbook that I keep. Um, I've been through several. I don't always finish them, but most of the time, uh, I, I feel it's pretty fundamental cool. because it's this kind of like at least for me, it's this kind of space where I can just be like unlimited um so like it's not th there's like no pressure so like if i um scribble up an entire page of my sketchbook and it's it turns like pitch black because i just have a bunch of charcoal on it it's fine i mean nobody's gonna like judge me for that or or call it bad art or whatever you know um it's it's not something that i'm like uh presenting as as a like fully finished painting or anything, but it gives me that freedom, that sort of childlike um, playfulness to just like do whatever. And, and, and then through that, like flipping through the sketchbook, I kind of like see this evolution of, of feelings and uh, states of mind uh, just sort of flowing. And, and that kind of gives me an idea, like inspiration or something. And I'll be like, okay, these, these pages are like really dark and um, moody and um, like I'll, I'll throw some poetry in there sometimes and uh, just maybe sometimes random scribbles and it's, it all sort of creates a mood. And, and that really helps me to like come up with things because it's, it's not just like a visual inspiration. Like I'm, a lot of times I'll look outside and see a beautiful cloud and I'll be like, okay, I'll, I'll take a picture of that for later because I could include it in some painting or something. But it, seeing as what, what I do is not only about uh, representation, you know, like visual uh, descriptive representation, it, I also feel like I, I, I need a sort of mood or an idea to, to back it up. So like uh, maybe a storm painting, I'll, like I'll have some 
pictures of storm clouds saved or I'll have some sketches of storm clouds done from life. And like, I sort of put all these things together. Maybe I'll have like jotted down a bunch of like poems or random phrases or, you know, um, stuff like that. Um, and it, it just all sort of comes together and I'm like, okay, I can make a painting or two or three out of that mood, out of that state of mind. And, um, it's just very freeing. Cause like, I mean, I'll have, sometimes there's just like absolutely ridiculous stuff in there. Like uh, I was flipping through my sketchbook the other day and there was this one page uh, where in the corner I had written down big news, I'm happy <laughs> and, <laughs> and the date and that's it. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's, it's very freeing. So I, I feel it's fundamental. And uh, so some people like to have a very organized sketchbook and I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, it's just never really been my style. Um, I like to get messy and, and just sort of do a bunch of random stuff in my sketchbook. So, yeah, yeah but always keep one. As well. I, I recommend that. You mentioned charcoal. Do you also paint with gouache in there or do you use, you know, any other colors to, 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 to kind of, you know, work out ideas? Cause it's so, such a complex thing to create the kinds of paintings that you do. There must be surely mm -hmm. some working out that you do in the sketchbook with color as well. How do you do that? Yes. Yeah, well, uh, I have several methods and I kind of uh, bounce between them. Um, uh, it's uh, I'm, I'm very, very much like that. I, I kind of like uh, I, I don't like to be organized unless I have to. <laughs> it's kind of weird, but uh, I'm kind of comfortable in chaos. So um, I, I have like oil pastels. Uh, I have watercolors. Uh, I have some acrylics, uh, some gouache. A bit of everything basically and i even have a, a tablet uh with a little drawing program on it so i'll i'll do like whatever i feel uh can best express what's in my head at that time so like sometimes i'll um i'll even like gild a little scrap of canvas with like some leftover gold and then do something with like oil pastels on it that I then dilute with liquid. So uh, I'm basically replacing the tubes with the pastels um, and, I, and I'll do like a little sketch and uh, sometimes I'll just, I'll just go straight on the tablet right away and, and um, sort of work it out from there. Like it's maybe more schematic or I don't know. It, it, it really depends <laughs> kind of unpredictable. Yeah. Did I see see you on one of your reels that you had your painting that you were working on and then you had your tablet and you were kind of maybe working out which tones go where next? Yeah, yeah, so that's something I do actually. Yeah. Um, so like sometimes uh, paintings will just like flow really easily and my, my plan will just come to fruition like that. And I love those paintings. But uh, I, I love the I also love the paintings that just fight you every step of the way. Um, and, and when that happens, I'll, I'll be like, I'll do mm, like the first step of my painting and then maybe I'll get stuck and I'm like, okay, something's wrong here, but I can't really figure out what. So I'll take a picture of it, put it on my tablet and, and start doing like, okay, what if I darkened this area and I do that and it's like, okay, no, that doesn't help at all. So I erase it and I, I try something else. So I don't have to like just blindly dive into the painting and, and maybe like mess it up. And I, I found that really helps me a lot because I tend to be kind of impulsive in that. Um, I'll, I'll wanna like intervene on the painting right away. 
And it's like being able to do it on the tablet first has helped me uh, save a lot of paintings <laughs> and not have to start over. <laughs> that's, that's really interesting that you've got that little detachment because I tend to do it, not so much anymore, but I, I used to do that because I used to get on the train a lot. And I, some of the paintings I couldn't work out. I would kind of just have on my iPad and then sit there in a procreate or whatever I was using at the time and just adjust it. Um, and it helps just step away from it and see it with new eyes as well. You know, there's that. Yeah. And just a technical question again. Um, taking photographs of paintings, finished paintings, is quite difficult to get the light. Right? How difficult mm -hmm. is it to do with when you've got gold leaf behind it? That's an excellent question. Um, I was actually really lucky that um, in my art school, there were like several classes uh, that one could take um, that were not just about painting. So there was like a marketing class, which was amazing and helped so much. And there was a photography class which again was incredible. And the teacher was like really dedicated and he, he was the teacher for um, the, the photography students as well. So he, like for us, it was just one class cause we were the, the painting students. And, uh, but he would have like regular classes with the photography students. And that really helped a lot um, because I just literally asked him like, um, cause, cause I would, I was still working on gold leaf, but like for decorated, decorative, like furniture or panels or whatever, it was like a completely different style. But I, I straight up asked him, I was like, how, how could I get this in, you know, a decent photo of this? And so he, he helped me. So he had a diffused light and um, a white sheet of paper or a panel or something that, that was white. And he sort of like bounced the light off of this white panel so that the gold was facing this this light colored surface that was being illuminated and that would show on the gold so the gold was not like glaring and it wasn't like dark either it was just this good diffused balance and so i i have that set up now in my studio where I try to like point the, actually, I, you can probably see, I have these sort of arched ceilings. Yes, I was going to ask um, you about yeah. the new studio because it's amazing. Yeah, oh, it's, uh, that's that's a nice, uh, nice topic as well. <laughs> um, so, but finishing the photography uh, issue. Uh, so what I do is I have these like diffused uh, lights, like photography lights, and I'll, I'll point one up at this arched ceiling and I'll have the painting like on an easel, like at an angle that's kind of looking at this ceiling. And so it catches that uh, diffused soft mm -hmm. light and, and that really, really helps. And, and I'll have a mix of like cold light and warm light. So it's, it's more balanced. But yeah, it's it's not a simple thing um, to photograph one's work, but it's so, so, so important. Like I found that um, it's it's like uh, like on social media and on your website or whatever, like fundamentally, uh, the one way you have of showing your work is fo photographs or videos of of it. So you can't actually show like half the world your your painting like physically you, you yes. have to photograph it so that's like super super important to yeah. learn and if uh i mean i was lucky i had that class in in my university but 
uh, it's so worth it to invest in like a few photography classes or something, or just straight up ask a photographer friend or Absolutely. something. I mean, you mentioned a couple of things uh, about that, um, the photography, but also the marketing, which you've both got down. I mean, you've got those so well. It's so interesting being an artist, isn't it, nowadays, that, you, that these kind of things, because it used to be that you would paint your work, the gallery would take the photos, you know, case out of your hand. But you know, I think you're an example of how you become successful in this new kind of hybrid space, but you've kind of got to know what you're doing on myriad levels. Um, and it can, you know, it's kind of like a house of cards in that sense. I mean, you could be doing all of this amazing stuff, but if the photography lets you down. It's, it's so I find it fascinating. Again, just a quick technical question. You do quite, quite a lot of the photos if you hold in work outside. How does that work? Well, uh, that has to be like a, a, a good sort of time of day. And I'll usually, like, since I don't really have control of the outdoor light at all, um, what I'll do is I'll kind of wander around and try to find the best angle. And like, maybe sometimes I'll want a certain backdrop, but the light is bad. And so like, maybe I'll wait until like the afternoon instead of the morning or something and see if that changes. Otherwise I'll just change spot or change angle. And um, that usually helps. Uh, but yeah, it involves a lot of wandering around with the paintings. <laughs> yeah. You get your steps in uh, quite a minute. Um, yeah. So about your studio, so <laughs> it's relatively new. Uh, I mean, the building's obviously yeah. not new, but as a studio, it's... Tell yeah, us about yeah. It's a, it's a new space for me. Um, so basically, uh, I, I've always wanted to live in the countryside. And um, so at a certain point, um, I was living in this apartment in Florence by myself. And just uh, with the pandemic and everything, it just got absolutely miserable. And um, uh, and then after that, um, there was like the, the energy crisis. So uh, I was barely scraping by and my bills like skyrocketed as well. And I was like, uh, I do not like this. I mean, I'm paying loads of money to live in a place that I don't enjoy at all and is generally not helpful to my mental health either. Um, and in the meantime, uh, my, my mom had uh, found this beautiful house in the countryside and um, had managed to buy it outright. And um, it's it's a very unique house uh, because it's basically like this uh, monastery that is in the, in the middle of like the the Tuscan hills in in the south of Tuscany, and um, so like in in the style of a lot of um, old uh, Italian towns, um, the houses sort of like congregate around the church. So um, this is like a mini version of that. So there's this monastery and like four or five six houses partially attached to it and partially not so um there was this this house that has like the the living area upstairs and the sort of basement ish area is where i am now it used to be part of the monastery thus the arched ceilings and uh it's it's a studio space now for uh, it's shared between me and my mom and because I decided at a certain point, like I'm paying for this terrible apartment that I do not enjoy. Um, 
I'm not too proud to move back in with my mom. Uh, I'll do it if it's helpful to, to my mental health. And uh, me and my mom have always gotten along really well. So uh, it's it's always nice to to be with her. Um, so, so I, I moved here and, uh, it's just been really, really great. Um, I, I've been back into like hiking and stuff like that, which I've always loved. And, um, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful area, beautiful hills, beautiful forests, and, um, just such a clear view of the sky. And, uh, and the, the monastery is actually still active. There's like, I think six nuns who live there. <laughs> And uh, oh, wow. they're, they're very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it it just suits your work as well, like yes. you know, painting <laughs> your style in in the old monastery. It's just fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh. I was going to ask: do you, Have you turned your hand to plein air painting at all? Tried that. Out, yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, I I enjoy plein air a lot. Um, So what I'll do is, uh, like, when I have some more time, so usually, like, between shows or art fairs or whatever, um, or deadlines, there's always some kind of deadline. Uh, But when I find a bit of uh, peace and tranquility, I can usually find the time to go out. I I have like a little setup uh, with like um, a little sort of box that I can keep all of my stuff in. And uh, I bring out like a camping chair or sometimes I'll just bring out my foldable easel and uh, like I'll I'll plan it because um, things change quickly out in nature. So uh, I'll think like, okay, the sunset is at this time or that time. I'll get ready, hike up somewhere in the hills and and wait for the sunset. And like maybe in the meantime, I'll do some like preparatory sketches to like figure out the, the placement of the landscape beforehand. And then when golden hour hits, like at the sunset, um, I start to actually paint. And uh, a lot of it, like plein air is is, is hard. It's, it's a difficult thing. Uh, uh, thing to do. So, um, a lot of what I paint when I'm out there is, is not something that I would say, okay, I can, I can sell this. I can put this on my website, you know, but, um, it, it helps, uh, so, so much to, to maintain a sort of more natural and, and loose, um, style. So like you're, you're regularly like sort of consulting the, your your source your original source the actual real landscape you know and um so i have some like all of these sketches that i uh do um some of them will be on gold like i I have like scraps of canvas that i gild and i i keep them for like plein air sketching and and sometimes i'll just do it on a a a primed uh plain canvas Uh, i'll prime it with uh, a warm tone or something and and uh and use those because uh, it, it always helps. Um, I always learn something new. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'll, I have these sketches that I accumulate and I, I don't throw a single one of them out, even if they're like really ugly or something. But I, I just learn so much because like even if on a technical level, they're really like quickly done and undetailed or whatever, they still manage to have the, the feeling of that spot at that time. So it, it really helps so much and i can usually bring like from one 
or two sketches, I can usually come up with several new paintings, like actual studio paintings. So yeah, plein air hard, but I fully recommend it. It's incredible. Yeah. And it's one of those things as well that, you know, as long as you're looking, watching, sketching, whatever, it's all feeds back into your main practice. Um, I don't paint plein air that much. Um, I sometimes just make sketches, but I'm constantly looking at the clouds wherever I go and it's all absorbing in that then when I do paint, I can sort of rely on that memory. So I think like plein air is very similar. You, it's it's that exercise in, in looking, that exercise of being present and absorbing those forms. Do you paint with your clouds? Um, and do you tend to paint a lot from your imagination or memory? Um, yes and no. So, um, like, I'm, I'm able to paint clouds mm. from imagination and memory now uh, because of experience. Uh, so, like, I, I can, like, I generally know how a cloud behaves when it comes in contact with light and, like, how the form is created. But I don't like to do that too many times in a row because if they kind of start looking a bit similar yeah. between yeah. you know one and the other so uh what i like to do is is um again uh jump back to plein air uh even just sketching them uh from life um it, it, it helps so much because it brings back that sort of natural shape of the cloud the the variations you know there, there's all kinds of different ways that a cloud can just be and um so so that uh that is something that i i always uh go back to but uh sometimes we'll have a stretch of weather where it's just blue skies and there's really nothing that i can latch onto. uh so that's that's why like if i like i have a huge collection of, of photos of clouds that i've saved throughout the years and that people have sent me and um uh, it's it's very big, very big collection. Um, but what I do is okay. I can't see any clouds in the sky. Um, I'll I'll check out my photographs. I'll sketch these photographs. I'll um, try to mix and match and sort of you know get creative starting from that you know base of that photograph. And uh, so that that um, usually helps me stick to like a. a sort of more realistic like believable version of a cloud rather than something that is sort of um has lost its nature really because uh, if, if it goes through your memory and your imagination too many times it just kind of loses its essence i feel it's got all of those kind of filters over it yeah and it goes towards abstraction whereas mm -hmm. i kind of like that pushing it towards that that sort of abstraction point and then just sort of bringing it back a little bit so it's still recognizable but it's, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's still there um do, so question about like uh, business and galleries and stuff how do you how do you work do you do you mainly um are you sort of self-contained in that sense do you have galleries representing you how, how do you do it mm -hmm. Okay, well, that that's a great question, and uh, it's actually uh, a point that I'm I'm quite proud of uh, myself because uh, I I've managed to like use social media to create a situation for myself where I'm not dependent on galleries. 
Um, so th that that's not to say that I won't like collaborate with galleries. I I'm very happy to, but uh, it's sort of more secondary. So like I I like if I'm approaching a gallery or if a gallery is approaching me, I am in a position where I know that I can sell my own work already. So this gallery has to be able to bring something to the table that is not just selling my work. It uh, should, in my opinion, help elevate my my name, um, give me some degree of prestige or something, uh, get me into art fairs that are galleries only and I would not be able to access otherwise. So, you know, that's, that's uh, an added value that I can't create for myself. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I, I collaborated um, until just recently with a gallery in London. Uh, and uh, it was like my, my first sort of gallery collaboration. And uh, it didn't really bring anything in particular. Um, so now I'm, I'm uh, getting ready to collaborate with a gallery in, in Vermont in the US. Um, so that's that's something that's going to be happening in the next like couple of months. And uh, so hopefully that that'll go differently. Um, mm. But uh, generally, what I what I do is I um, I have my social media that is my main sort of um, like uh, attraction, let's say, because um, it it's it gets my work seen. Uh, I'm able to to create content in a way that uh, the algorithm of Instagram or or TikTok. Uh, favors it and and pushes it to new audiences uh, for free essentially because uh, I'm not paying for advertisement um, and that has brought a lot of people to my uh, website from there um, and it's it's really an incredible tool because I I'm able to uh, sell out my collections entirely. Um, uh, not it didn't start out that way of course um but uh it's something that i i really really recommend um learning about social media see i i i've never been a social media kind of person i don't post about my private life uh on facebook or whatever um but uh it, it was kind of like because i was trying to start out as an artist when the lockdowns were in full swing, I kind of didn't have a choice because uh, I, I couldn't get into any in-person events because uh, there just weren't any. Um, so I, I started to like take a really good look at how to make social media work for me. And uh, it took a lot of trial and error. Uh, and it took me a while to also find my own personal balance with it because it's it's uh, essentially a tool and it should be seen as such. It's not something that should uh, like damage your self-esteem or your mental health. Uh, it, it is purely a tool. And um, it's very easy to think like you, you put a post out there and you, you put your work out there and it gets like two likes or something. And you immediately tend to like think, okay, my work is bad. Like the first thing an artist attacks is their own work. And that that is like, it took me years to learn that that is the last thing that should be attacked when it comes to social media, because there's so, so many factors. I mean, there's stuff like trending music and um, the, the quality of your video and the lighting in your photos. And, you know, that those are all factors 
uh, the hashtags that you use, uh, those are all factors that contribute to whether your post or your video gets uh, picked up by the algorithm or not. And all of those things come before your art itself in the post. So first of all, you know, if a post does poorly, the first thing I learn to look at is, okay, did I, um, is it a poor quality video? Did I sort of slip up in my content creation? Uh, did I not use the right hashtags? Uh, you know, that sort of stuff. That's what I attack first. And then after all of that, I think, okay, maybe the painting isn't as good as I thought it was, yeah. <laughs> but you know, yeah. usually that's not the case. Um, social media is very like, it's hard. It's hard to, to, to strike that balance. So for the first like couple of years, uh, I was not really getting anywhere and my following was growing very slowly and I was really like confused and just sort of wandering around in the dark, basically, like uh, trying to use the right hashtags and, you know, barely knowing what they even did. Um, and and it was, unfortunately, it was very also uh, connected to my self-esteem because I was like putting my work out there and I was like, oh no, it's it's not doing well. It's, um, my, my work must be bad, you know? Um, and of course there's always room for improvement on a technical level. Um, an artist should also like always welcome that. But that's not the main issue with social media. No. So, yeah, yeah. it takes a while no, to strike that balance. You're totally right with it. And, you know, it, it, one can't help but think, you know, you put a post out and think, oh, it's a rubbish painting, okay, because it hasn't done well. But I've done this a few times where I've sort of, for whatever reason, because it's been, it's featuring in the gallery or something, is I've done posted the same painting like six months apart you know one has you know, six thousand likes and the next time it gets you know, 800 okay so it's the same materials pretty much the same hashtags and i think sort of being um comfortable with social media after a while is to look at it holistically because we're often in the moment you put a post and you think, oh, no, I'm just going to give up now. It's rubbish and all of that kind of stuff. But if you look at it over time, say a year or something, you'll see that it's very much like this. And I've heard that mm -hmm. with the algorithm, it's kind of like you're a surfer just hanging about in the water there. And then there's these little waves coming in. Sometimes there's nothing. But every now and then, every sort of seventh wave, there's a big wave and it kind of pushes you forward. Um, but like you say, it's it's a tool. But so much emphasis has sort of been put on it in you know, the cultural mindset or individual mindset that it's the be all and the end all. But if you're able to sort of just see it as that, you put your post, you step back and you carry on painting. You just do what you were doing anyway. Um, you know, these kind of things happen. And you mentioned it earlier that... What happens as well is you you tend to get a lot of either transient followers or um, you know people who who kind of because something's trending you know will follow you, but there's a, often a core who interact with you, and then there's a core who not only interact but buy as well often buy, and a lot of the time it's about cultivating that little community whether it's through your mailing lists or 
you know how you're communicating with people who are buying or social media so so not only are you you know an expert photographer as well you also have to be <laughs> expert at kind of customer relations and all of that good stuff as well but it, yeah. but it's really interesting and like you were saying about the the gallery aspect you're in a position um now and i find myself like this as well that if if i'm giving somewhere 50 percent they need to be as good preferably much better than i am at marketing the work because if that's not the case you just sell it yourself and you keep all of the money um you know, and it's it's those types of relationships that one has to sort of consider and build. And I think you're an example that you don't need those traditional routes to do it, the galleries, that you can, you know, stand alone in it and develop your own thing. Also weather the storm of doing that because it's not easy, but, but there is a way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it definitely takes uh, perseverance. Um mm. And I mean, I think that you you really uh, hit it spot on with your your uh, um, metaphor of of the like a surfer with waves, yes. and uh, th that's exactly it. I mean, I, I couldn't have put it better. Uh, it really is. So, like initially, I was I was going through the the figuring out phase and I really was like uh, growing very slowly on social media and getting very frustrated with it of course um, but then uh, when things started to finally pick up I, I finally understood that I just had to like get my content on a good level use all of the like hashtags trending music you know all of these sorts of things and and then just sort of sit back and wait for the wave essentially so like keep posting keep going and even if your post doesn't do so great maybe the next one will but if you don't post that next post it can't do well so just keep going keep going and that that's what happened to me with it with the waves is that um around like december uh last last year almost by now um i i had this this one reel that um got picked up by the algorithm and it went absolutely viral and it it brought me so many followers and so much attention all at once and and i was like oh this is awesome and uh, uh and i was like at the time i was at like 3000 followers and uh, fantastic, all 3,000 of them. I love them. <laughs> they, were, they were there like from the beginning. <laughs> and, uh, and then like I, I, in like um, two months or so, I'd hit like 30,000. And that was like so shocking to me. Mm. And, and then um, it sort of tapered off. And, and I kept like posting and apparently the algorithm also had changed. It had updated and it, and I couldn't really keep up. I was like, okay, what, what do I have to do now? And it took me a while to figure it out. And then I finally did. Uh, it was like a minor change, something like um, changing the amount of hashtags that I was using or something like that. And, and then it picked up again and there was another wave and I had another video go viral and then it tapered off again. And so it's, it's just like, you know, I, I don't uh, get discouraged anymore when things slow down because it's mm. like, uh, it's temporary. And I don't get overexcited when things go well because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's also temporary. It's like, yeah. that's yeah. a wave. It's awesome. I love it, but it's going to end and mm. then it'll pick up again. So mm. yeah, you, you really hit it spot on. Absolutely. Yeah.
and it's that like I was saying, it's like a holistic view that you tend just to see it over the long, like you're saying, it's up and down. It's it's not one consistent thing. So, what advice would you give to any artists out there who are sort of want to go down a similar path as as you to become an independent artist and to sort of grow like that to make it their job? Is there any advice you give? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, my number one piece of advice is uh, perseverance, um, especially in the things that you find sort of more uh, unpleasant, like social media. Um, I mean, I've persevered in my painting and my technique in, in bettering my technique and, and all of that. Um, but that's kind of natural. I mean, as an artist, that's what you're interested in. That's what you want to be doing. So obviously you're going to persevere in that. Um, but take that same kind of perseverance and put it into the, the other sort of satellite skills like photography, social media, marketing, stuff like that. And, and most of all, like, just keep, keep going, keep going. Um, it's, it's really like rare that somebody gets to this point overnight. Uh, it takes years. Uh, I mean, I've been posting consistently on social media since 2020 and, and it was really slow going at first, uh, but I didn't stop. And so absolutely perseverance, number one piece of advice. And, and the second piece of advice is absolutely to consider uh, social media as a tool because uh, it's, it's very easy to let it affect your self-esteem and your mental health. And that it's absolutely not worth it because it's a tool. It is. Uh, it doesn't say anything about you as a person. It doesn't say anything about uh, society, the way society is going. Because I've noticed a lot of people, like I've given some talks about uh, social media for artists. And uh, some people tend to take it really personally. And they'll say things like, oh, this is the way society is going. I'm supposed to just hop on trends and, and do them, you know. It's like, um, no, it, it, it's not so indicative of, of society. I mean, you're simply using a tool. You are not selling yourself out. You're not, you know, you're, you're using something. Um, actually, what comes to mind is uh, my marketing teacher in, in art school, he said something that was absolutely like it, it changed my mind about marketing on the spot because um, I, I come into the first marketing class of the semester basically with my arms crossed thinking like, Oh, what is this guy going to tell me? You know, <laughs> like who needs marketing? We're artists, you know? And, um, so it's absolutely like not for that. <laughs> um, and he said, um, marketing is not in your face advertisement. It is basically communication. Like all you're really trying to do is uh, you're doing something that you believe in that you think is great and that people should see and you want to share with the world. Marketing is communicating that. Don't you want to tell people what you're doing? Of course you do. Like you have something that you think would make people happy. So tell them about it. Don't be shy about telling them about it. And that changed my mind on the spot. I was like, yeah, I, I don't have to be some in your face advertiser. You know, uh, I can just be myself and and put that out there uh, on social media and some people will love it some people will hate it you know that's that's just how it is um but yeah it's it's simply a tool to communicate what you're doing something of value that you want to offer to the world 
So yeah, that that is also a big piece of advice. Don't don't let the marketing get you down. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. It's really really just, good. Oh, I was just going to say that we do like to, at the end, direct people who are watching and listening to the places where you want them to see your work and support you. So where is it that you'd like people to go and view your work and purchase your work and speak to you? Absolutely. Um, well, definitely uh, Instagram is a really good way to keep up with me and uh, and see what I'm doing. And um, also my mailing list. Uh, so I'm, I'm planning on creating um, a channel on Instagram. Um, it's, it's this new feature that has like these like group chats where the the artist posts and and like it's a direct message sort of thing. So I'm planning on, on opening one of those on my Instagram. And uh, the other form of direct communication that I have is, is um, the mailing list. Uh, and, and also uh, from my Instagram, you can easily find my website. Um, and that's, that's where I share my work. Uh, and that's where my work can be purchased. At the moment, it is completely sold out. But there are prints that are still available, also running a bit low, but they're still there for now. Um, but I am working on a new collection uh, that is going to be coming out in the next month or so. So uh, I, I notify people on my mailing list uh, when that happens, when I when the paintings are ready. Uh, and then I also post to social media later on. Fantastic. Well, I'll put all the links in the description below. You've been really generous with your time. It's been a real treat talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've had a great time talking to both of you. And uh, I, I really love your work, Richard. It's oh, thank amazing. You very much. Thank you. Thank you. It's lovely to talk to you and I love your work too. And thank you. Thank, thank you. you.